Thank you for tuning in to the Meridian Friends Church podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss any of the sermons posted each week. You can also find more information about our church at www.meridianfriends.org or on Facebook or Instagram by searching Meridian Friends Church. Now, enjoy the sermon. Would you turn to Matthew chapter 5? The overall message is just that. God, I'm desperate for you. Can you identify? It's been our prayer, I think, walking through this, that God would help us replace any sense of self-sufficiency and the things that the temporary or the world might offer us wouldn't satisfy our souls or be enough for us, but that we'd be willing to live according to Jesus' reign instead. So we've been looking at Matthew 5, which is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus has to say about how to order our lives on a daily basis and how to live well in the kingdom of God. Because I think we often settle for less, don't we? We, we, we think we know what's better for us, so we go after our own way rather than this backwards, upside-down logic that Jesus seems to be offering us in the, and, and out of our own fear or need to take care of ourselves, we resist Things like being poor in spirit or meek, being humble the way he calls us to be. We live far below the means, I believe, that Jesus longs to provide for us. He wants us to step in line with basically the way he lived. And, and these really are descriptions, these eight descriptions of the Christian life. They're descriptions of Jesus' life. And they're prescriptions for our life. They're both. They're, they're to describe the kind of life that we will live if we seriously follow Jesus to the cross, if, if, if we're willing to carry our cross daily, if we're willing to walk with him and follow him. This is what our life will look like. And the good news of that, because this, this is really hard stuff, the good news of that is that he promises his blessing, his makarios. Don't, don't you long for God's blessing more than the blessing of people, or more than the blessing of what circumstances could bring if we somehow manipulated our circumstances in the world so that we'd get what we think we deserve versus just trusting the Lord to take care of it. Would you stand with me as you're able? And I'm reading from Matthew 5, these challenging words Jesus offers to us. And notice the last two verses that I'm reading and have been reading for weeks are an extension of the eighth beatitude. Jesus had more to say about this beatitude than the other seven. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And finally, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I don't know, gang, what do you think? This looks like the toughest of all the Beatitudes. I mean, if Jesus were a salesperson, he's certainly not a gimmicky salesperson. I mean, who would say, come follow me for a life of difficulty? Follow my teaching and people will despise you. Take me seriously, and you'll be rejected. Doesn't sound like an appealing advertisement, does it? (laughs) So contrary to the techniques that we think of when we think of salesmanship. Because the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount are not a sales pitch. They're an encouragement to people who take seriously the call to discipleship. They're a serious description of what life could be as we choose to walk with Him in obedience. They are words of reassurance to us that this is the right path, even though it doesn't feel good a lot of the time. I want to organize my thoughts about the eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5.11. Around three simple statements that I see offered scripturally about persecution. That's certainly not an easy topic for any one of us to think about. But Jesus is really serious about it, can you tell? He extends this beatitude to help us understand, maybe because being rejected is so disillusioning to us. It really causes us to wonder, am, am I really on the right path? Does, do I still have God's blessing if somehow I'm not being thanked for living in righteousness or according to God's plans. In fact, it's quite the opposite, it would seem, from what he's saying. And so he has a lot to say by way of encouragement and comfort, not by way of sales, to those who would follow him. I think we see here who it is that should rejoice when rejected. We see when to rejoice, and Jesus also is telling us why to rejoice. And of course, I'm going to start with who. And essentially, what the Sermon on the Mount's saying, what the Beatitudes are saying, what this particular Beatitude is saying, is that we're called to live in a way that's courageously different from the world around us. Do you see that? I mean, each one of these statements are so surprising and backwards to our human logic or what we might have the courage to do. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's he's calling us to true courage. If you dare to be different in this world, you're going to be noticed. There's a movie that came out in 2006 that I just really like. It's called Aquila and the Bee. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's the true story of a gal named Kiki Palmer who lived in South Los Angeles, and she entered, despite a very difficult background, 
She entered the Scripps National Spelling Bee, and I won't give anything else away if you want to see the movie, but it's worth it. Lawrence Fishburne is her mentor. And it's the, the message that spoke to me so loudly, and my kids were young uh, as I watched this for the first time, is that if you are someone who is brilliant, you're going to be persecuted. And this girl has an incredible mind, and yet she lives in South Los Angeles, and her family and people that know her the best do not believe in her. And they, in fact, are threatened by her brilliance. And ever since I saw that movie in 2006, I remember vividly telling my kids over and over, do not be afraid to be your very best. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid to be the best student. Don't be afraid to be the best athlete. Whatever it is you pursue, don't be afraid to be all of those things. Do not be afraid to be the best because the peer pressure will want to dim your light. See, Jesus is saying that, that you're going to be persecuted because you're noticed, because you're not conforming to what everybody else is comfortable with in this world. And in the same way, Jesus' perfection, of all things, rises to the level of his crucifixion in this world. He is nothing but good. He's nothing but pure. He's nothing but loving. He's nothing but giving. He's the best as an understatement. And his reward for that, the consequence of being obedient and of being good, is to be persecuted. It's to be rejected. This is an aside, but... I've been thinking all week about the cross, and the cross just keeps coming up for me in this whole series of messages. And there's so many details about the cross, about the punishment that Jesus absorbed for our sin. And there's one detail about it that's sometimes overlooked. There's a note in the scriptures that tell us that Jesus was crucified outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And if you go to Jerusalem and you see the two traditional sites where Jesus possibly was crucified in Golgotha. Both of them are outside of the thin walls in the first century in Jerusalem. And Golgotha is a raised place either way, and a person is raised. And in my imagination, and I don't know, because nobody really knows exactly the spot. Don't be disillusioned by that. I'm sorry. It's still worth seeing and experiencing everything. But I wonder how much Jesus could see into the city from his elevated place. To be crucified outside of the city is to say that you are not worthy of being killed inside the city to say you no longer belong there. It's a rejection of citizenship. It's, it's a cursing of someone. It's no wonder as Jesus came to Jerusalem, he wept over it. And he so longed to to bring people in for them to understand that, that his plan is nothing but loving and nothing but good and nothing but pure. But the reward for that is rejection. The reward for that is, is to be pushed at arm's length because darkness is always threatened by light. And so when John tells his Christmas story, he describes it this way, no, no manger, straw, or camels, or shepherds he says in the beginning was the word and the word is with god and the word was god and 
And, and he goes on to describe that Jesus is the light of the world in chapter 1. And he said, but the darkness rejected the light. The, light is, the, the darkness is afraid of the light. It's intimidating. Your brilliance in this world exposes sin. Your willingness to be pure in this world, to be gentle, to be humble, to be meek, to be givers, to sacrifice for others, to, to be honest, to care for others, exposes, not that you're trying to do it, but it exposes the indecency of what's around you. And the darkness cannot stand it. And the reward for that is rejection. This is who Jesus is talking to when he says that if you're one of those people, you're blessed. He says blessed when people insult you, when people persecute you, when people falsely say all kinds of evil against me. If you dare to be different, you're going to stand out. You know, when we think of Jesus, we think of a bridge builder, right? We think of somebody who brings people together, and many times he does. We know of marriages that get reconciled where there was distance. We know of families that are brought together. He brings together different races and backgrounds of people and harmony, and it is his purpose to do such. But there's also an aspect of Jesus' life that does not bring people together. In fact, it separates people. If you Look at Matthew 10, 34. He said, don't suppose that I've come into this world to bring peace to the earth, the temporary kind that you're thinking of. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, for I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And some of you know the sting of being rejected by those that the world says you're supposed to be the closest to because of Jesus, because you're different. The truth has a way of separating. The truth has a way of making people feel very uncomfortable. And I don't see the attitude of Jesus on the cross as one of pointing a finger and being angry and scolding the world He's praying on the cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Even though that tender heart to bring people together is there and can't be questioned, the reality is the world may not choose to accept you. It may not choose to accept your truth. And it will hurt. There's good news in all of this as we think about the who part of this message. It means at least three things for us. Be encouraged, followers of Jesus. It means that God's Spirit can be seen in your life. Take a look broadly at Scripture, at, at those who are persecuted, and what Scripture says about those people. It's so tender and it's so beautiful 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter is a book to people who are persecuted and rejected in this world. He calls us aliens and strangers in the world, citizens of heaven and citizens of earth at the same time. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, does that sound familiar? What we just read. 
If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Look at this. For the spirit of glory and God rests on you. I want to tell you that the voices that we long to appease and make happy by refusing to stay true to Jesus, that peace isn't a peace that can rest the same as the peace of God's own spirit. And Peter's encouraging persecuted Christians who, if they, if they refuse to say Caesar is Lord, and they'll only say Jesus is Lord, they will literally, they could be killed for their faith. He's saying that to those people, know this, the Spirit of God rests on you. It really means something if you're actually persecuted because of who you are in Christ. It means something in the first century. It means that God counts me worthy to represent Him. I use this word worthy and it might make you nervous, but, but look at Acts 5.41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin where they were persecuted for their faith. And these same apostles will be killed for their faith. You'll read about it uh, in the pages of Acts as well as church history. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. I mean, is that as challenging to you as it is to me? This is something so strong in all of us that needs acceptance. But they rejoiced. They knew they had God's blessing. They knew they had the peace of God resting over them in a much deeper way than the world could ever offer. Somehow their unwillingness to renounce Jesus even to death made them worthy of God's blessing. And we read the Hall of Faith in uh, Hebrews 11 and, and it concludes with all these descriptions of how Christians are being killed in that day. And the author of Hebrews, I don't know if he doesn't know what else to say, he says the world was not worthy of them. And at the end of the day, we, we often have to make decisions as to who it is we're living for, as to whether or not compromise is okay and, and, and whether or not it, it, it's worth it. We long to hear Jesus say, well done even if in the meantime we do not hear that from others that we really care about and would like to hear it from. And know this, it's only temporary. You know, the kingdom of God is here and now and it's in the future. Jesus came bringing the kingdom now. He's risen, he's alive, he lives in our hearts. He invites us to follow this different path and this different way and this narrow way of discipleship so that we may experience that now, but we ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Jesus will return one day. He'll split the clouds open. Everyone will know. One day we'll see him face to face and and. Faith won't be the same as it is now because faith is what you haven't seen. You'll see it. 
It's only temporary. More on that in a minute. I think here we also hear when to rejoice. And I think this is a, a really important qualifier. And I want to say this really carefully. Rejection is blessed. So that's what we're talking about, being blessed in rejection, right? Rejection is blessed only when it's received for Jesus' sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. When does Jesus say that insults and persecutions and slander are a reason to rejoice? When it's for His sake. And and that's such an important clarification. There's a danger that we might misapply Jesus' words here to somehow think that any time someone's rotten to you or abuses you or says vile things about you, that somehow that means you're blessed. And, and that's not what Jesus is talking about. He, he is saying under a specific circumstance. I, I just think sometimes the rotten things people say about us are just rotten things. And, and whether you're good or bad, that, that's going to happen in this world. It's just, it's just the world that we live in. If we fail to carefully listen to the words of this beatitude, we might draw a false conclusion that, that, that somehow we need to take a martyr complex if we want to please Jesus. What's more, we sometimes are persecuted or things are said about us that aren't very nice or make us feel bad. But they're actually true. <laughs> and, and they're things that we sort of deserved, if you will. So if, if someone isn't happy with you because you didn't do your work very well, or you made a promise and you broke it, or you were dishonest in a transaction, or, or you were kind of ornery, and they say something about that, and you don't feel good about it. Oh, but wait a minute. Jesus said, I'm blessed every time I persecute it. <laughs> he didn't say that. It's specific. It's when you're persecuted because you're so much like me. It's quite a standard. You're persecuted because of righteousness. Because you're so seriously pursuing the kingdom of God in these seven other ways. Then... You're blessed. And, and I think that's really important because we tend to want to put blinders on and think that we're always right. <laughs> and if somebody sees something differently than we do, then Jesus must be on my side. <laughs> right? I mean, you can disagree with me. You have the right to be wrong. <laughs> Isn't that our attitude sometimes? <laughs> and I think this requires discernment, don't you? I think this requires a community of people around us that know us really well and speak truth into our lives and are serious students of Scripture and, and that there's really process life with us and help us to understand our blind spots. Because by definition, you do not see your own blind spots. You know that? If a two-by-four is coming toward your head, it's really good to have a community of people around you that are covering your blind spots. And I'm just saying that because I think the church has a huge blind spot on this one. In general, the, the, the church... Christians, the reputation of Christians, we always think we're right. And, and we're often not very teachable. So, so don't mishear me. There are things that we do not compromise about, and that's going to make us unpopular. 
But let's also be really careful about what it is, which hill it is that we die on literally. If I'm just bad-tempered or sulky or I'm hard to get along with, I'm going to get persecuted. <laughs> and hopefully I can learn something from that. This is different. This is persecution for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of accepting the name of Jesus and even sometimes speaking the name of Jesus and living according to his pattern. Jesus tells us why as well. Oh, did I not give you that? Oh, I did. Oh, this is good. First Peter 2. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? <laughs> I, I just think that's great. I, see, apparently Peter needed to say that to some first century Christians. If you're doing wrong, you should expect retribution. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, that is commendable before God. Okay, Jesus also says why to rejoice. And in short, it's very simple. It, it's because our reward in heaven is great. Isn't that a good place for us to leave the Beatitudes? Isn't it the right place? Because great is our reward in heaven. Jesus is saying you won't necessarily see that reward or be thanked here and now. Great is your reward in heaven. I mentioned this a minute ago. We have such a strong strong need to be affirmed and accepted. It's, it's human. It, it's something inside of us. It's part of God's wiring, as a matter of fact. I want to warn you about discouragement on this one. Discouragement happens when we focus on what we feel is owed to us. Can we just use that language? And the Beatitudes just explode the idea of what's owed to us, don't they? Just destroy it. We're not living for today. Amen to that? We're living for eternity. We forget, and, and discouragement comes when we forget what's promised to us in our future. Let me go backwards a couple thousand years to Isaiah. <laughs> And I'll leave us in a few minutes of open worship with this thought. I was reading in Isaiah the other day, and this just really struck me. You know, Jesus said, you're blessed because they also rejected my prophets. They also rejected when they spoke the truth and they wouldn't give up on the truth, they were persecuted as well. So you're blessed. Wow, what good company. I mean, what an honor to be rejected. As I was reading Isaiah 30, I saw both elements of what I'm trying to describe in all of this, both truth and grace. <laughs> Isaiah pulls no punches. Have you read Isaiah? <laughs> it's pretty tough. <laughs> For these are rebellious people, deceitful children, children unwilling to listen to the Lord's instruction. They say to the seers, so those are the ones that are getting God's message, See no more visions. I don't want to hear it. And to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Look at this. Isaiah, tell us pleasant things. Prophesy 
illusions. <laughs> we wouldn't say this stuff out loud, but we sure feel it, don't we? Enough of the hard stuff, Jesus. Leave this way. Get off this path and stop confronting us with the Holy One of Israel. That's some truth, isn't it? Therefore, this is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, relied on oppression, and depended on deceit, this sin will become for you like a high wall cracked and bulging that collapses suddenly at an instant. We don't, we don't put our hope in the temporary stuff. It will break into pieces like pot, pottery shattered so mercilessly that among its pieces not a fragment will be found for taking coals from a hearth or scooping water out of a cistern. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says. And I love this because there's almost this transition of this hard truth and the soft grace. In repentance and rest is your salvation. What is it that we're holding out to the world that rejects us? Shape up or else? No. It's repentance. It's what our heart truly longs for, for anyone who is not following the truth, who is damaging their own life by their own decisions. What do we really want from them? To be able to point to them and say, we're better than you? No. We're, we're, just, we're just fellow beggars who found where to find some food, right? In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said no. We'll flee on horses, therefore you'll flee. You said we'll ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will flee away till they are left like a flagstaff on a mountain, like a banner on a hill. And I love this statement. This is Isaiah 30, verse 18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. I, I want to leave us in a few minutes of inviting the Holy Spirit to rest on us, to speak to us in our open worship time. And if you're prompted to speak during open worship, please be obedient. If together we're prompted to be silent, just to be reverent that way before God, wonderful. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. Join me in a few minutes of just waiting on the Lord, inviting God to speak to you personally, wherever you're at, whatever your thoughts and fears, whatever it is today, surrender them to Jesus and let's invite him to speak to us corporately and individually in this next session.